Hi friends, welcome to the FBC Zealand Teaching Podcast. We are a local church in Zealand, Michigan, and we desire to know Christ and to make Him known. We invite you into the same journey with us now as we open the scriptures and as we ask God to teach us and reveal Himself to us in His Word. Thanks for stopping by. Well, to begin with this morning, I was wondering, how many of you happen to have a Facebook account? If you happen to have a Facebook account, please raise your hand. Okay. Many, many of you do. Um, I also have a Facebook account. I don't use it very often. Um, The primary reason I have it is um, different people in the church communicate in different ways. And so some people in the church, if I want to get a hold of them, I need to call them on the telephone. Some people I need to send a text message. Some people I need to send an email. And some of you uh, speak Facebook. And so uh, those are the different ways I have of uh, communicating with people. And so that's primarily why I have a Facebook account. But um, my Facebook account came in handy because I used it this week in my preparation for this message. And so the passage we're looking at this morning, um, there's kind of a theme for each of the three main sections that I'm looking at in the passage today. And uh, the theme of the first section that I'm looking at is anger. And the theme in the second section is liberty. And the theme in the third section is religion. And so I was kind of thinking, well, you know, how, what do people think about when they hear anger and, and liberty and religion? And so I, on my Facebook page, I posted, hey, could you please respond and tell me the first word you think of when you hear anger, the first word you think of when you hear liberty, the first word you think of when you hear religion. And uh, there were 13 people who were kind enough to provide me with a response for each of those. And so I'm very, very grateful for that. And as we work our way through the passage this morning, uh, I'll share what those responses are. Um, The passage is in the book of James chapter 1, verses 19 to 27. And so if you would open to James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27, I would like to read that passage in your hearing And let's stand together for the reading of God's word. James chapter 1, verses 19 through 27 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. 
Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are looking into your word this morning. We thank you that you've given it to us, that you've written the things we know down in black and white for us to read and study and meditate upon. And Lord, we know that without your Holy Spirit working in our hearts to enlighten the eyes of our hearts, that, that we'll miss out on what's here. And so, Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would fill us this morning would make us understand the things that you want to say to us and that we'd be transformed. I ask in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You may be seated. Well, the first theme, as I mentioned, is anger. And I'd like to read verses 19 and 20 again. It says, so then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And so, um, anger, my Facebook survey said, you know, what word comes to mind when you hear the word anger? And the... I have a variety of friends on Facebook, so anyway. Um, the, the, the responses I got were uh, Satan, Trump, misunderstood, devilish, fear, hurt, sin, wounded, another hurt, hatred, indignation, frustration, unproductive, and elevated. And so um, that's what comes to mind. As we think about our society, it seems that public anger and rage are becoming more and more predominant in the life of the culture around us. And so if you are watching the news or if you're going on Facebook or uh, seeing a Twitter feed or things like that. More and more you see expressions of, of anger and expressions of rage. And um, I thought a little bit about giving some examples, but I didn't want to make anybody angry. And so, and so I decided not to. Um, it's our frustrated desires that give us ang anger primarily. There's something that we desire and it's frustrated and the natural response to that frustration is anger. And to some extent, anger is attractive to us because one of the things anger does is it makes us feel righteous. Um, we think that the rage that I'm feeling is an expression of elevated moral discernment. And so we have a phrase for it. We call it righteous indignation. And um, God's word tells us that our indignation is not necessarily always 
so righteous. And so back in verse 20, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. And the problem with our anger, the problem with our wrath, wrath is uh, the desire to channel anger into justice. The problem with our anger and our wrath is that, first of all, we do not own justice. And secondly, we're not qualified to exercise it in the ultimate sense. And so keeping your finger in James or a page marker or something, because we're going to keep coming back here, if you would turn over to Romans chapter 12, and in Romans chapter 12, I'd like to look at verses 19 to 21. And so in Romans 12, 19 to 21, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap coals of fire on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so, look in verse 19. According to verse 19, to whom does vengeance belong? Okay, it belongs to the Lord. Uh, exercising justice to punish wickedness ultimately belongs to the Lord. It doesn't belong to us. He's the one that it belongs to. And so when we, when we are exercising wrath, when we are uh, seeking to avenge ourselves upon our enemies, we are stealing something that belongs to God and taking it to ourselves. And the reason it belongs to God is he's the only one who's truly qualified to exercise justice and vengeance. So he is perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, perfectly good, perfectly loving, perfectly wise, perfectly powerful. And so he's able to properly exercise justice and pour out wrath where wrath needs to be poured out. And so when we try to take what belongs to God and we try to exercise it, we're kind of like toddlers who are trying to kill a fly with a hammer. Um, The chances are we're going to do a lot more damage than we're going to do good. And so as a result, the Bible tells us quite a bit about wrath. Um, Still keeping your finger or page marker in James, If you'd like to turn to Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 31. And Ephesians 4.31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, 
and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. And then over a few pages, Colossians chapter 3 and verse 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language, out of your mouth. And then 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 8. says, I desire, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. And we know that, you know, it's a hindrance when we're praying if we're doubting the Lord's ability to respond to our request. But it says that our wrath is also a hindrance. As we go to God in prayer, our wrath is a hindrance as we're praying. Now, saying all this, can make people think, well, you know, anger must be a sin. And actually, anger in itself isn't a sin, but anger is something that can lead us into sin. And so, if you would turn to Ephesians chapter 4, back in Ephesians... In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. And so notice the verse doesn't say, Don't be angry. The verse says, Be angry, but do not sin. This, by the way, is a quote from Psalm 4.4. So Paul is uh, citing the Old Testament here. So so we can be angry, but we should not sin in our anger. And how are we to be angry and not sin in our anger? Well, if you can keep your finger here in Ephesians 4 and turn back to... James 1. In James 1, verse 19 says, So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. And so, step number one for being angry and not sinning is to listen. To be, you become angry, and then when you, as you become angry, you become swift to hear and slow to speak. And I can think of a lot of times when I've been fast to speak in anger and have regretted it greatly later because I've sinned in my words. But we listen. We become swift to hear. It's like I'm angry, so I need to shut my mouth. I need to open my ears. 
I need to listen. Because as we listen, we may find out that there are things that will make us less angry. Oh, I am beginning to understand why this person did what they did. And understanding why they did what they did, I'm not as angry about what they did as I was before. Now, it's possible that you're still angry because, uh, you know, you become angry and you've listened to the person and you've said, wow, now I'm even more angry because uh, this person, um, what they did is absolutely wrong. There is absolutely no justification for what they said. As I listen to this person, I find out that what this person did is a pure expression of evil on their part. And that makes me really, really angry. Well then, uh, keeping your finger in James again, turn back to Ephesians 4.26. And Ephesians 4.26, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. And so uh, we become angry, we listen, and we're still angry. Then it's time for us to pray. It tells us not to let the sun go down on our wrath. And how do you not let the sun go down on your wrath? It means that day when you're angry, You don't wait till the next day or a week or a month or a year, but that day when you're angry and you are filled with righteous indignation, just anger at this person, this person is evil, and what they are doing is evil, and the evil makes me angry, you go to God about it, and you give it to him. Say, Heavenly Father, This person did something evil. And it makes me really, really angry. I'm not going to lie about what they said. I'm not going to say that what they did is some insignificant thing, that it didn't matter. I'm not going to pretend it wasn't evil. I'm going to acknowledge that this is what it is. This was an evil deed done by an evil person out of evil motives. And it makes me really angry. And so, Lord, I'm giving it to you because I know that you are the judge of all the earth and that you're able to do what's right. And so that I know that in your wisdom and in your power, it may be that you will pour out vengeance on this sin on the cross with your son, Jesus Christ. Could be this person will come to faith in you, that they will repent of your sin, of their sin, and that it will be nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ, just as all my sins were nailed to the cross with Jesus Christ and paid for there. But it's also possible, Lord, that this sin will not be nailed to the cross. 
And Lord, I know that you are just so that someday if this sin is not nailed to the cross, that this person will be cast into the lake of fire and they will be separated from your presence for all of eternity. And so I know that you are capable of dealing with this sin. And so Lord, I give it into you. You are the judge of all the world, you will do right. And I surrender this to you. I renounce any right I have to seek revenge. I renounce any right I have to hold a grudge. I give this unto you, Lord. And we do that before the end of the day. And the reason we do that is because when we don't, it gives the devil an opportunity. Ephesians 4.27, continuing from 26, do not let the sun go down on your wrath nor give place to the devil. And so when we hold on to that anger, when we hold on to that wrath, we're giving the enemy a foothold in our lives. He has an opportunity then to sow destruction in our life and in the lives of others. And so if you'd like to turn over to Hebrews chapter 12, In verse 15, Hebrews 12, 15, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled. And so, um, in some ways, anger is like milk. Um, there's nothing wrong with milk. You know, I love to have it on my cereal every morning at breakfast. But if I leave the milk out overnight, then in the morning it's become sour and it's no good anymore. And there's nothing wrong with anger. We look at evil in the world and it makes us angry. But if we don't, you know, put the milk in the refrigerator, if we don't give the anger to the Lord, if we keep it out on the counter overnight, it turns sour, it turns bitter, and it destroys our life, and it can destroy the lives of others as we pour that bitterness out on other people. And so anger. Swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Because the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Well, then our Second theme is liberty. And in James chapter 1, I'd like to reread verses 21 to 25. It says, Therefore, lay aside all filthiness and overflow of wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, which is able to save your souls. Be doers of the word and not hearers only deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately 
forgets what kind of man he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. The perfect law of liberty. And so, back to my Facebook survey. What do you think of when you hear the word liberty? So people thought of America, hope, Jesus, freedom, freedom, patriotism, freedom, freedom, hard one, freedom, 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 undervalued, and freed. So we had a little bit of a theme going there with liberty. In the book of James, as we're looking at this context, liberty is doing what God's Word tells us to do. Liberty is being free to do the will of God. We are no longer in bondage to sin. We're no longer slaves to sin, but because we belong to God, we have the liberty to do the things he wants us to do. And as we look at how the word liberty is used in Scripture, one of the things we find out is that liberty is a gift of the Holy Spirit. And so, still keeping your finger in James, if you'd like to turn to 2 Corinthians 3.17. Second Corinthians 3.17. Now the Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. And I'd like to read 18 as well. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. And so, liberty comes from the Holy Spirit indwelling in our hearts. Before we came to faith in Jesus Christ, we were slaves to sin. We could choose to sin this way, we could choose to sin this way, we could choose to sin that way, but whatever we did, we were choosing to sin one way or another. When we come to faith in Jesus Christ, when we realize there's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable before God, that we can only cast ourselves on Him and receive eternal life through faith in Him, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. And He changes us on the inside. And He gives us a new ability to do things that God wants us to do. Now, part of liberty is not trying to earn salvation through your own good works. So if you'd like to turn to Galatians chapter 5. And in Galatians chapter 5, verse 1, this is a major theme of the book of Galatians here in verse 1. 
Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And so if you say, I've got to earn my own way into heaven by my own good works, then you are enslaved and you are in bondage. If you are resting in the finished work of Jesus Christ, then you've been freed from bondage and you are enjoying liberty. Now, of course, people say, well, you know, we received eternal life as a free gift from God and, uh, you know, if I sin, I can just pray and say, please forgive me. And so, you know, it's a license to sin. I'll just sin and say, forgive me and sin and say, forgive me and sin and say, forgive me. That's great. They think that's what liberty is. But that's not what liberty is. Still in Galatians 5, verse 13, it says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. And then over in 1 Peter chapter 2, in verse 16, 1 Peter 2.16, it says, As free, yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God. And so when we come to faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit comes to live inside of us. We have a new covenant with God in which God writes his law on our heart And so we no longer have a a heart of stone. We have a heart of flesh that is living and beating and loving God and wanting to please him. And so we no longer want to use the fact that we're forgiven as an excuse to live in sin. Why would we want to do that? We've been freed from that. We now have a new ability to do the things that God wants us to do. Well, the third theme from this chapter in James is religion. James chapter 1, verses 26 and 27. If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this to visit widows and orphans in their trouble, and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. Now, I have to say, religion didn't do very well in my Facebook survey. Words associated were confusion, oppression, cumbersome, Old Testament, no relationship, belief, legalism, enslaved, insufficient, rules, 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 freedom of, and unfree. In the book of James, as he's using the word religion, he's talking about worshiping, in this case, God. How do I worship God? What's the best way to worship God? And James 
talks about three ways in particular in which we can worship God in a way that's pleasing to Him. And the first one is a negative. He says, bridle your tongue. Verse 26, if any among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. And the book of James has a great deal to say about the tongue, most of it in chapter 3, which Pastor Jeremy is preaching on in three weeks, and so I'm not going to say anything else about that other than worship is not harming other people with our words. Well, a second way to worship is by helping the helpless. And so in verse 27, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their trouble. When we love God, one way we can worship Him is by loving people who are created in His image. And as people are in need, we can express our love to them for helping them, by helping them in their time of need. And orphans and widows are among the neediest people. They need our help. And so I'm encouraged that there's so many people in our church who minister through adoption, who minister through foster care. I'm encouraged by those in our church who faithfully visit widows. I'm encouraged by those who are generous as they see others in our church family and community that are in need. I'm encouraged when I see people give through the blessing tree or, or through the benevolent fund. All of these things are acts of worship that are pleasing to God as we express our love for Him by loving people who are created in His image. And the third way we can worship is by keeping ourselves unspotted from the world. So pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this, to visit widows and orphans in their trouble and to keep oneself unspotted from the world. And the world around us encourages sin. In fact, the world around us has reached the place where pretty much the only sin is telling someone that something is sinful. Um, and so you're sinful if you say something is sinful. Nothing else is sinful. But the Scripture has a wholly different perspective on it. God's Word says that some things are displeasing to Him. And we worship God by not doing those things that we know are displeasing to Him. And as God in His Word is telling us the things that are displeasing to Him, He's not telling us those things so that we can uh, govern the lost by those things, because they're lost. Uh, those things they have certain practical benefits, so actually you might advise them not to do those things because um, those things will hurt them. But uh, in the long run, uh, the lost can not do those things, and they still are lost. You've got to expect lost people to act like lost people. And so when the Bible is telling us about sin, part of the reason is, is so lost people maybe can know 
that they are in need and need to come to God in order to receive those sins forgiven, but it's also so that those of us who are followers of God, we know what pleases Him and we know what doesn't, and we want to please Him. And so we want to recognize sin, we want to avoid sin, we want to encourage our brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ to avoid sin. And as we then look through God's word, um, as it says already in James, to look intently into the perfect law of liberty, as we see the things he's revealed to us, we seek to bring our lives in conformity with those things that he's revealed to us. That's an act of worship. We say, I could do that, but I'm not going to because I love God. And as an act of worship to him, I'm not going to do that because I know it does not please him. And so, the three main ideas that we've looked at, every day we need to surrender our anger to God and trust him to care for it. We need to look to God for the power to live free in liberty because he gives it to us through his indwelling Holy Spirit. We need to worship God by controlling our tongue, by helping the needy, by obeying his word. These are the main ideas of this passage in the book of James. The foundation for all of these things is salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He's the one who has reconciled us to God in his own blood. And that's what we are celebrating today as we partake of the Lord's Supper together. We are remembering that our sin was so bad that we could do nothing to make ourselves pleasing to God. And so as a result, Jesus Christ came on our behalf, and he bore the punishment that we deserve. His body was broken in our place. His blood was shed on our behalf. We now have a new covenant with God through faith in Jesus Christ, not a covenant of do this and you shall live because we did not do it but a covenant of whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. And so that is what we celebrate as we celebrate the Lord's Supper together. And so I'd like to invite our servers who will be helping to serve the Lord's Supper to come forward at this time. And as they're coming, I'd like to read from 1 Corinthians chapter 11. By the way, this is the Lord's table. It's not the table of First Baptist Church in Zealand. And that means that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are welcome to celebrate the Lord's Supper with us today. Now, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you can change that right now.
There's nothing preventing you from putting your faith in Jesus Christ. You need to realize that you've sinned against him, that you've sinned against God, that the wages of sin are death, that you deserve eternal separation from God in the lake of fire, but that God in his grace sent Jesus Christ to bear the punishment that you deserved on the cross. And he raised him again from the dead so that you can call upon him and you can receive forgiveness and eternal life through faith in him. And so if you're here this morning and you've never done that before, you can bow your head right now and you can pray to God and you can say to him, Lord, I realize that there is nothing that I can do to save myself, but I trust fully and completely now in your son, Jesus Christ, to redeem me, forgive me of my sins and reconcile me to you. And at that point, you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And you can join us this morning as we celebrate what Jesus Christ has done for us. And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning at verse 26, it says, for as often, oops, sorry, 21, 23, I'll get it right yet. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Let's pray and thank the Lord for the bread, which is a picture of his body. Heavenly Father, when we were lost and hopeless and helpless, in your love you sent your beloved Son to pay the penalty we could not pay. And his body was broken on the cross for us. Lord, as we partake of this broken bread together, a picture of that broken body, I pray that we would do so in remembrance of what you've done for us that we would be humbled and yet that our hearts would rejoice in your goodness. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that what you heard inspires you to take the next step in your faith. If you have questions about this message, or would like more information about our church, we invite you to check us out at fbczealand.org or call us at 616-772-4377.